Welcome to Become an Idol. This is Episode 6, How Christy Tucker Became an Idol. I am Dr. Robin Sargent, owner of Idol Courses, and this is the place where newbies come to learn and veterans share their knowledge. In this episode, I'll be chatting with the Christy Tucker about her experience transitioning from secondary education to instructional design and e-learning development. We'll be sharing tips for switching careers and landing your first job, even if you don't have a degree or experience. You'll also learn how Christy Tucker became a name brand in the field of instructional design. I have here with me today, the one, the only Christy Tucker. And if you don't know who Christy Tucker is, make sure that you go to ChristyTuckerLearning.com and you'll be like, oh my gosh, I've read her blog post before and I didn't even make the connection because she has been an instructional design blogger that everybody has been listening to since like 2011. I'm sure that you can correct me if I got that date wrong. And and I have Christy on here with me today uh, because one, she's like a guru in the field of instructional design. And two, she became an idol from a secondary education background. And I'll have her tell her journey and story then. And then now she owns her own company, Cinead Learning, and she is a freelancer and a business owner, an instructional designer, and she is well respected in our community. And so she is a like the perfect person to listen to as far as like finding out about her journey and becoming an instructional designer and what you need to do in order to land your first corporate instructional design job. So, Christy, thank you so much for being here. Tell everybody uh, who you are and like give them more details about yourself. Well, thanks for having me on, Robin. So I, as you mentioned, uh, started as a teacher. I taught K-12 music and band. I have a music education degree and a minor in German. And so I taught for three years. And then I had did K-12 my first year and then did middle school music and band after that. And I have immense respect for all the public school teachers who stuck with it um, because I bailed after three years because it's too hard. And then I went to teaching adults, which was much easier and I was much happier with. I did corporate training, uh, teaching people how to use Microsoft Office uh, in stand-up computer labs. Um, But I was teaching from published curriculum and I missed the curriculum design side of the teaching that I'd had um, when I was teaching music. And so I discovered instructional design and that's, so I have been doing instructional design since 2004. Um, Started out in higher education and I've done a bit of switching back and forth between higher education and corporate, but most of my work nowadays is workplace training. And so I have, um, I actually started blogging in 2006. It's even longer than that. 2011 2011 is when I started my company. And so when I went independent, but I actually started blogging five years before that. Um, I was creating a master's course on 
using social media, what we were then calling Web 2.0, for those of you who have been around long enough to remember that. Um, I was uh, writing a, a, a master's course for uh, teachers going back to get their master's degrees and, and on how to use social media and teaching and thought, well, if I'm going to tell all these teachers that they should use a blog because it's such a good learning tool, I should probably do that myself. And so I had no intention of having it really be um, become a business or affect my career so much. It was really just originally for my own personal reflection and learning. And it has taken off from there. Um, and so that is now 12 years and going on blogging, which is how most people know me. Um, my company, Cine and Learning, I went independent in uh, 2011. And so I do um, work with a number of clients now um, independently and specializing particularly in doing uh, incorporating elements of storytelling and scenario-based learning. Okay. Let me go all the way back to when you said you're a band teacher because I was a band nerd. So like, what was your instrument? Like, I know you like taught all the instruments, but like, what was like your instrument? Uh, my primary instrument is horn. Oh, like so. which one? Like, like French horn. horn. Okay. French horn. Okay. Cause I was a yep. trumpet player. So, yep. so yes, we I both- actually just played <laughs> horn on Easter, on Easter Sunday. We did have a little brass, su- pseudo brass quartet. Uh, we were short one brass player. We had a soprano saxophone fill in one of the parts, but we did have, so I just did play horn at church, uh, for Easter Sunday. And so I do still play a little bit. Um, I'm not teaching music anymore. Well, that's not true. I'm teaching handbells in Sunday school with, <laughs> with, with lower and elementary kids in Sunday school. Um, so yes, I guess I am still doing some music teaching and I'm doing um, some handbell things and I sing. And so I, I still do music as, as hobby stuff. Um, but that's not, not professionally. Right. Right. But you still keep, you still keep the passion alive. And I think it's so interesting, you know, that you like started out like with your passion as like your primary career path. And you're like, well, actually (laughs) I want it to be more of a hobby. So, um, and then the other thing I wanted to ask is, so you, you have a degree in teaching like you, like you mentioned. So you, you did not have to go back and get another degree to transition into instructional design. Is that right? That is correct. Now, I will say it was challenging to get that first instructional design job. And I think if I had gone back to get a master's degree or a graduate certificate or something, um, I think that getting that first job would have been easier. Um, I mean, you know, my career has always been about learning in one way or another, teaching and training and instructional design and consulting. All of that is around helping people learn. Um, but making that transition from training into instructional design was challenging. It really did take me a full year um, to make to get that first instructional design job. Um, and there were a couple of things going on that that kind of held me back in in the job search. One was not having a certificate or or master's degree. I think it would have been more straightforward to go. The second thing that was the big thing that held me back is that I had no prof- no portfolio at that time. 
and that made it a lot harder to get a job. Um, so I kept a spreadsheet of every job I applied to, because um, when you're when you're unemployed, you have to keep that spreadsheet that shows how many things you've applied to or con employers you've contacted and followed up with each week, and you have to do four a week. And so that spreadsheet has 200 rows in it. Because it took me that long to get that very first job. Um, so anybody out there who's listening and who has, you know, applied to 10 or 12 things and has gotten rejected and is feeling bad, come join my club of people who got rejected from a bunch of jobs. That's right. And you only need one yes. <laughs> and you only need one yes. And it, and, it t and it took me, and it was really hard that first one. Um, I will say that once I had the title of instructional designer on my resume, I've never had trouble since then. That's right. It has always been that once I had some of that experience on there, um, that I was able to, that, that generally speaking, frankly, I would post my resume out there and recruiters would contact me. And, you know, that, that has, I mean, I have been out of the market for full-time jobs since for, you know, over eight, eight years now. Um, and I still have recruiters contact me a couple times a month saying, oh, your LinkedIn profile looks really good. Are you interested in a full-time job on site? Nope. I'm not going to go work in a cubicle farm anymore. But thanks for contacting me. Let me refer you to so-and-so who is looking. Amen. Um, me too. Because <laughs> so, I'm not, and, and I, I mean, I, I know that there are people who are much happier doing full-time work. And and that's fine. Frankly, my husband is one of those people who is much happier having one thing to focus on and, and, and to have that steady environment. Um, personally, I have a really low tolerance for boredom. And so I like having multiple clients and multiple projects going on simultaneously and juggling a lot of things and, and having a, it, it can get to be too much sometimes, but I like that variety and always having new things to learn. Um, you know, that's, that's a lot of what's fun about this field. Oh my gosh. I feel like we're like, we're like spirit animals or something, Chrissy. Like that is, that's my same thing too. It's like, I even would, uh, they, some of my bosses would say like, watch out if Robin's bored cause she's going to cause mischief because I too have like a very low tolerance for boredom. And I, and I do just try to like stir up things a little bit when I get bored. And that's also why I got into it too. Right. Because like you get to learn new things all the time. And if, uh, and if you like change your job or like you are a freelancer, then you have different client projects. And that's actually like the same thing for me. It's like, that's why I like went into freelancing because like you work for a software company and then like all you're doing is creating like training for that software or Absolutely. Like, and like on and on, like whatever industry it is, you just, that, that's what you're training on. And I was like, I want to learn new things all the time. I gotta yep. go. <laughs> yep. So. It is. And it, and it is, you know, instructional design is a great field for people who are like us who want to do new stuff all the time. If you are looking for steady, having the same thing, doing the same thing day in and day out all the time, this is probably not really the right field. Um, Cause it, especially on the instruction design side, maybe on the developer side, there's probably people who are developers and bigger teams where, especially in an internal company where maybe you're doing more of the same thing but i i mean i love having having the new stuff because there's always new 
new things to learn. There's new research on learning. There's more, there's new technologies. There's new subjects of stuff. I mean, my, my current stuff, I have been overbooked right now. I said yes to too many things. Uh, I know you're, you're probably familiar with this problem too. I said yes to too many things, but I'd had um, a course on neonatal abstinence syndrome which is um, babies, newborns uh, going through withdrawal from opioids. Um, so a course on that for home, for home visitors. Wow. A course on equity, diversity, and inclusion um, for a group that has uh, volunteers working with youth. Um, a course, uh, some software training, uh, which I'm, I generally actually stay away from software training, but I have a little bit... Uh, right now, and a course for uh, advisors in universities who help foreign international students um, navigate visas and employment issues. So I've had those four things going simultaneously, um, which is more than I usually, I mean, I try to have only two or three things at a time and not four. Um, but yeah, so that's my current variety. You that know, is a range. <laughs> it is it is a range of stuff and it is um that that's more than I like. You know, if I had to if I could do my sort of ideal stuff, I would have one project where I'm doing some writing and storyboarding and another project where I'm doing some more developing or more technical or more visual work. Um I like the storyboarding and the design and the analysis piece of things probably better than development. Um, but there's only so many hours in a day that I can write. And I find that if I have some variety in my work where it's like, okay, I'm, I'm just like done with, like, I cannot write anymore about babies addicted to opioids right now. And I have got to go take a break and go. So then I can just go switch gears and go do Camtasia screencasts of software stuff for a little bit and give myself a mental break from what that is and I and I do think it's helpful to have some variety so you can sort of switch back and forth um, and you know be more productive based on where your energy levels are yeah uh, that's is, that's is my mode too uh same thing it's like uh, I, you know you you're like okay well I just I can't like do this anymore but I know the timeline's like this so I'm gonna go switch to the the fun project where I get to make pictures because I actually uh I write and storyboard and whatever but like my favorite part is development so <laughs> maybe we should we should trade a few things every once in a while <laughs> um so You've mentioned uh, once you became an instructional designer and you had that on your resume, now you get like calls all the time, messages from recruiters. And that's the same for just about anybody, right? Especially if you have instructional designer and those keywords enough on your, uh, your profile on LinkedIn or your resume, you are definitely going to get emails from recruiters. But what about when you're trying to make that first transition? I know you wrote an article about it and I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts about like, what what are some of like the best tips you can give about rewriting a resume so that it's instructional designer uh, facing, so to speak? Sure. So I think from from teaching in particular, which is often where where people are coming from, I think teachers already have a lot of the skills that you're going to do as an instructional designer. Um, I I mean I'm certainly an example of that, having come without getting the formal training in it. Um, 
So it is worthwhile going on. I think it's, it's much easier now. You can go on LinkedIn and you can search for instructional designers and see the kinds of things that they talk about and the kinds of skills. And you can sort of figure out, oh, okay, learning, you know, writing learning objectives. Oh, okay, that's a thing that we do. Or um, creating assessments to measure learning objectives. Adjusting curriculum based on what the assessments tell you is a relevant thing. If you're coming from teaching to instructional design, I think one of the big things is to emphasize the work that you've done creating lesson plans and curriculum over the actual teaching. It doesn't really matter that more of your hours were probably spent teaching and standing in front of a classroom than in the creation. If you're transitioning, it's more important to talk about the parts that are more what you're trying to go to in instructional design, the lesson planning, the objectives, the assessments, and doing all of that. So I think talking less about the teaching, talking less about the specific courses that you taught, um, you know, maybe very briefly mentioning them, but talking more about um, what you created or, um, you know, okay, my first year of teaching, we, I taught a music appreciation class. It was the first year of the class in a pilot and we had no textbooks. So the choir teacher and I created a year's worth of curriculum for that. We created projects. And so my resume um, talked a bit about, told that story of how we, how we did, um, you know, how we did that curriculum and created all those materials because that's relevant to instruction design. So I think, you know, even just that is, is probably a, a big tip. Um, I think there's also, I like um, Liz Ryan's approach to doing resumes and cover letters um, where she talks about doing a, a human voiced resume and instead of necessarily doing all the, you know, sort of listing the bullet points of like, here's my responsibilities of what the job was. Okay, the deal is, it, I taught K-12 music and band. You have some general idea of what it was, and most of the teaching part of that, I don't need to give you more detail about it. So let me tell you the story about this music appreciation class, how I walked into this. I was hired two weeks before school started, and we had to come up with a curriculum right away. And so we created those materials. We cobbled things together. I did research. We curated resources. Um, in doing, she even does, in some cases, a, a like sort of a paragraph about this is what it was. And if you're changing careers, that format can work really well because it lets you craft a story. You know, when I say my whole career has been about helping people learn one way or the other, that's part of how I've framed this whole thing. So it seems like it's a logical progression from teaching to training to instructional design. Now, that it wasn't quite as simple and linear in real life as that story um, somewhat implies, because as I already talked about, it took me a year and a lot of struggle to get that first instruction design job. But in terms of framing that story, and, you know, I think that that works. So your resume is, is your story about your career, about why you did things and what you learned when you were there and what you accomplished. Uh, Liz Ryan calls those the dragon slaying stories. So if you think about what's the big project, what's the big 
problem that you solve? What's a big thing that you're proud of from that job? And talking about that in your resume or in your cover letter or, or having those stories ready for when you go to an interview, I think having those sorts of stories and telling your story, using your resume as a place to tell your story and how you've grown and what your journey was, that I think works when you're, especially when you're changing careers um, from teaching or graphic design or whatever to instructional design. These are excellent tips. And, um, you know, it's, it's all about those challenges, just like you said, or like slaying your, your, your dragon stories. I think those, this is excellent information. And, and also just going into LinkedIn and finding out like what other people are doing and what are these things that they list on the resume and also, um, those keywords, right? So because mm-hmm. all these resumes, they go through these applicant tracking systems and you don't even come up uh, to be considered for a position in many instances unless your resume has these keywords. So even in your stories, you want to include the keywords like curriculum design, instructional design, learning objectives, assessments, just like yep. uh, you said. Yep. I mean, you can you can do over it. Now, one other thing I will say about those keywords and those objectives, there was a really interesting Um, chart I saw a while back um, looking at um, resumes and what percentage of the job requirements those resumes met and whether and how well that correlated to getting an interview because often especially when you're just getting started right you look at this enormous list of requirements that people put in jobs when they are looking for that unicorn that does everything, right? It's the person who does analysis and design and is, you know, whiz-bang with development and can do storyline and JavaScript and video and will record their own audio and can code the LMS from scratch at HTML, right? Like those are what the job listings look like. Um, The study that I'd seen said that as long as you meet at least 50% of the requirements, you are just as likely to get an interview as someone who meets 90% of those listed requirements. I love that. I love that. That's such a, that's so encouraging too. Cause I think a lot of uh, people who try to make a switch, they see something like experience required three to five years and that alone will like make them like not even apply. Right. And, and honestly, there are plenty of employers out there who will hire someone with a good portfolio and no experience or six months experience over somebody who has three years experience and no portfolio. Yep. I mean, I do, now I do think that the portfolio is really critical, especially when you're getting started and you have less experience. Because this is the other thing of trans, you know, moving yourself from teaching or some other field into instructional design. Your resume can do something for you. But ultimately, like, okay, you and I both know that teachers already have a lot of the skills for instruction design, but employers don't necessarily really know that unless you show them. And your portfolio is how you show them. This is, these are the skills that I have. And yes, indeed, it really does transfer to this workplace training. Yeah, I think, and I've even seen, um, and I've probably mentioned it before, but I've even seen in job descriptions, uh, we're not looking for higher education teachers or secondary school teachers for this role. And yes. so there's almost like a, there, uh, not almost, but there is a bias built in to some of the hiring managers against secondary school teachers. So it, it, that's when it becomes even more important 
especially when you're trying to transfer out of uh, a role that you're biased against that online portfolio. Yeah. And, and I will say, okay, so there is some of that bias and I've run into it too. I had somebody um, who declined to hire me because part of my career has been working in universities. And she said, well, everybody who's ever worked in a university can never really work in workplace training. We've never had it. And I'm like, I worked for Accenture in Cisco. Like, those are two pretty big corporate environments, but nope, not not good enough. It was totally irrelevant to her that I had worked for Fortune 500 companies. Nope, didn't matter. I had, at one point in my career, worked for a university. And so she declined me. So yes, that bias is out there. And to some extent, um, your portfolio can maybe get past some of them. And some of those people just aren't worth um, aren't worth dealing with. Because um, I know lots of good instruction designers who used to be teachers. Me that too. Of, <laughs> that was a lot of who we hired when we were hiring people. And we were hiring entry-level people and, and hiring people who were more career changers. And so, yeah, we hired, we hired a bunch of people who were former teachers. Some of the, some of the best people we had were the, the former teachers. So now, Chrissy, you've kind of, like, we've talked about, or I talked about, just like how you were just like, you're like it. Like everyone who's like trying to become an instructional designer is like ain't familiar at all with like what's online because your blog is just like, you know, it's just grown since uh, you said 2004. 2006. 2006. 2004 is when you got your first job. 2006 yep. when you started the blog. 2011 is when you started studying. Yep. I got it. I got it. Yep. Okay, so, so 2006, I mean, the, all these years that your blog is grown. So like people know who you are mostly through that, but I don't know that you also do presentations and um, I've, you know, I met you through um, one of our social networking channels. So like what, I mean, how did you like, was it just like the one step at a time that you've like built up uh, to the rock star that you are? Like what kind of, what, what if people like want to like really like not just start as an instructional designer and just land their first job, but they want to like reach, reach great heights. Like what's kind of, what was your path to being so well known in this field? So it was for me definitely starting with a blog. And, and as I mentioned, I didn't intend to have it really take off. Um, so I, I would say it is partly a matter of um, finding something that you can stick with in the long term. Because when generating that, that online personal brand, um, there is just time and 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 some slogging away at it that does happen and part of why i'm well known is because i have so many posts now some of it is also that i did i got lucky with that instruction design careers series because i have a series of posts that i wrote originally in 2007 the first of which was what does an instructional designer do and it was because i kept getting that question and so i wrote that post um because it was a question that I kept answering and I kept answering it in email because of a group I was in. And I'm like, this is dumb. I'm going to publish my answer. And then every time people answer, ask me that same question, I'll just send them to the link instead of rewriting this every time. Um, but lots of people had that question and, and that's what it turned into. And so I think um, it, uh, there is some luck involved in it, but 
if you are creating more content and putting things out there more often and sharing things and sharing your knowledge generously, it sort of increases your chances of having that lucky break happen. The more you, it's you're increasing your luck surface area in some, as, as one person put it. Um, when you put more things out there, and it doesn't have to be a blog, a, you know, it can be a YouTube channel or Twitter or a Facebook group or whatever, I think, but picking one and dedicating yourself to doing that one well is, is good. When I started out, I wasn't, um, I did the blog and I wasn't doing too much else. I was doing a little bit of, you know, experimenting with other stuff. Um, I do some on Twitter, but I still don't do as much on Twitter as, as other people. My Facebook page is, is a, you know, kind of limited. I don't do as much with that. And it's okay to not do all the things. I think sometimes when people get started, they try to do all the things at once. They see that, oh, well, you know, I do a blog and presentations and I talk on podcasts and I've done, and I have a Facebook and a Twitter and a LinkedIn and I manage two LinkedIn groups. Do one thing, do it well. When you've got that under control, add another one. And then add another one. Um, so putting things out there regularly and focusing on doing one well. And if you experiment and you realize like, wow, I really, I hate blogging and it's, you know, I hate writing and coming up with things, um, then switch and do YouTube videos or Twitter or something else instead. Yeah. Um, and I think the other thing is, in instruction design, I think we're, we're lucky we're in a field where people are so generous with their time and are just so willing to help each other. Um, because I got lots of help from, from other people. Um, you know, the, the group that we're in together is, is an immensely helpful group that I have, I have benefited from. Um, the, the Reddit group, there've been LinkedIn groups, there've been other groups. You know, I think we are, in a field where there's just a lot of genuinely good, helpful, supportive people who want to help you and want to help you learn. Um, and, you know, for the most part, even the, the big names of people are all, you know, pretty approachable and, um, you know, there's, there's a few exceptions, but, but people are also pretty good about answering questions and, um, and helping when, when asked or, or being generous with their time. You know, you look at how many people are out in our field sharing and it's, it's remarkable. How often do you post? Is it a weekly thing or? I had been doing every other week for a long time, but I am um, doing every week now. Um, I'm currently um, doing, I've been updating some of my old posts um, I migrated from um, an old WordPress.com URL for my blog, which I'd been on for a long time. So it, people sometimes know me under the ChristyTucker.wordpress.com, where I was for most of that time. I moved in January and migrated to ChristyTuckerLearning.com. Um, and one of the things about that is that that lets me republish some of my old posts. So I've been trying to re update and republish some of my old posts. Some of those, you know, the instructional design careers posts, um, like 
what we talked about for technology skills in 2007, um, for example, I was talking about how much I was probably going to have to learn flash development because that was the thing that people were looking for instruction designers to do. Um, and so I had gone and, you know, was talking about taking a course at my community college to go learn some flash development because in 2007, that was a thing. Um, so I'm updating content. Um, and I set aside, I have it on my, my calendar, I set aside that Thursday mornings, I work on my blog and I write things for my blog before I start doing any client work. Um, because that's one of the other things about, you know, keeping up with it and doing it regularly. Um, you have to prioritize yourself in your own development. Learning professionals are terrible at taking time for their own learning. Um, and their own development and and working on things or or building their own business So I just set that time aside that I'm gonna do like an hour or more on Thursday mornings and and just work on my blog um, and Yes, sometimes that block gets shifted but um, I think I, I I do Prioritize doing that. There's always more client work to do Yeah you probably have to protect that time. I do. And so speaking of technology, so there is a debate that uh, many people have about like, do you actually need to learn an e-learning authoring tool uh, when you're trying to learn uh, land your first job? I know what I say. What do you say? <laughs> so this was, this has been a debate for quite a long time because again, when I, that, that series of blog posts, this was a, big debate in 2007 that was the other part of why things took off was because i started this controversy by saying yes you need some technology skills agree uh, so i'm going to quote wendy wickham here more skills equals more opportunities and so the more you have the easier it is for you to get a job um it used to be that you know graphic designers could do things completely on paper and that they didn't need to do digital tools. And there got to be a point where you couldn't move forward as a graphic designer without having some technology skills. Um, and I think the authoring tools, I think Storyline and Captivate and Rise and, you know, a few others are easy enough to learn that everybody should have at least some familiarity. I do not think that everybody has to be the super guru at creating your own custom illustrations for things. I do not think that everybody has to be able to do super complex variables and coding the JavaScript, especially not starting out. But I think, I think you do need to be at least familiar with one of those tools um, because so many jobs are in a smaller company, you are likely to be doing a little bit of everything. Um, if you are somebody who really is dead set that you don't want to learn technology, that means that your opportunities are going to be restricted to larger companies and e-learning vendors. Um, because in larger companies with big teams, you divide up the work more. And I do some of that things, some of that where, um, I have a vendor that I still do some subcontracting work with, um, where I do the design document, I do the, and the storyboarding, but then it gets passed off to somebody else to do the storyline stuff. And I don't, and I don't do any development for them. Um, because it's split up. 
And so they have somebody else who does the technology. So you can find those jobs. Um, but I think it is more realistic to find your first job if you can do at least the basics in Captivator Storyline. And by the basics, I mean you have spent five to ten hours trying to learn it. I do not think that ten hours learning software is an unreasonable expectation for people. Yeah. This is excellent. Okay, Christy, what are your final and best tips for people who want to become idols? I think that, um, I think really remembering that we have this great community of people online in all of these different communities, you know, the e-learning heroes and Reddit and LinkedIn and Twitter, um, and to go out there and network and, and interact with people. Um, a lot of the work that I find, especially now that I'm independent, is because I am helpful to other people, that I go and answer questions. And it's, it's not that I am selfishly trying to help other people, you know, just because I want to get business out of it. That's not the, the primary reason, but it does end up being that way, that when you are out there asking questions and giving people help that people see you and they get to know you and there is a lot of networking in this field and so I think um, sometimes when people are just getting started they'll worry about oh you know going up to somebody at a conference there was uh, at the learning solutions conference um, there was somebody who was um, nervous about going to talk to Clark Quinn and I'm like Clark is such a nice guy. I'll introduce you if you feel like you need it. But really, just go walk up to him and say hi. Because, like, don't, you know, all of these people, even, you know, the, you look at the, the big names and who have published books, they're almost all very down-to-earth people and very approachable. And Yes, sometimes we have to say no when it is the, oh, can you spend five hours looking at my course and giving me really detailed feedback? Okay, I cannot say yes to every one of those requests because I get too many of them and I don't have time. Um, but simple questions, go out there and ask because um, there's a lot of really wonderful people in the field. And, and I think people who are new are afraid to take advantage of that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's one of the main reasons I love this field because exactly what you said. And even like you coming on this show, um, taking time out of your busy schedule um, to help people become instructional designers. We just, I can't thank you enough. So thank you so much, Chrissy. Well, thank you so much for asking me. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes for this episode at idlecourses.com. If you like this podcast and you want to become an instructional designer and online learning developer, join me in the Idle Courses Academy, where you'll learn to build all the assets you need to land your first job, early access to this podcast, tutorials for how to use the e-learning authoring tools, templates for everything course building, and paid instructional design experience opportunities. Now get out there and build transcendent courses. Thank you.